Welcome to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. Okay, welcome back. No time to waste. Let me get right to it here. I have some education things I want to bring up, certainly some local news, which is rather interesting, and it stretches back to an individual I've brought up before on this show. Remarkably relevant, in particular, again, regarding the much larger story of what's going on nationwide in education and as it typically goes on, frankly, in the entire corrupt profession. I'm going to mention that in a little bit here. Actually, I'll mention it right here at the top, but I have a few other education-related stories I want to get to also, and then a bunch of jab stuff and some audio I want to play too. The Watch the Water documentary part two came out on the Stu Peters Network here last Friday, and excuse me, it is fantastic. It's absolutely fantastic. In fact, it really should show people what they should be focusing on and the documentation that they should be focusing on, and they waste no time exposing the same kinds of doctors that you've heard me expose here. These so-called freedom fighters and these so-called people who, again, love the stages, love a microphone, and they're always around them grifting off of all of these presentations that they give and doing whatever they can to, uh, I don't know, make money off of the entire thing and tell people that they are at the forefront of what's actually happening. And it couldn't be further from the truth. Dr. Brian Artis is at the forefront of what's going on, and he's brought this information, as he says in the documentary, to people, and they have ignored him. And that's remarkably problematic. So I'm going to play some audio from that, too, and then I have some peer-reviewed articles to go through that substantiate a great deal of what he was talking about. And all of it can be backed up, which is why Watch the Water Part 2 is is really fantastic because, again, he brings the receipts. He shows the articles. He shows the literature. And they are using snake venom in in the entire pharmaceutical industry with both drugs to essentially poison people under the guise of helping them, but certainly within the COVID shots themselves. Not to mention, again, as he lays out, clearly all of the symptoms are exact symptoms that you would have if you were being poisoned by a snake, by a snake bite. So, I'll get into that a little bit later. First of all, let me, let me kick it off with this local education story, which, again, you, you don't have to live where I live in order for this to not bother you. And this is a big, big deal. So, let me start by doing my best to sort of revisit an old character that I've brought up in the past. You may recall that there is an individual who sits on the school board in the town where I live. He is married, uh, again, to a man, but he has, they have apparently three adopted children. And I believe at the very least, two of the boys, there's, I believe, two boys and one girl, two of the boys are black. Not sure if the girl is or not. I've, I've never seen her, not to my knowledge anyway, so I don't know. But this is the school board member who, one month into holding the position that he held as an elected official after winning the election, he broke the law by paying himself back for Super Bowl tickets. You may recall back then me bringing that up. I, of course, was thrown a great deal of information from a number of individuals in the town, and they wanted me to expose what he was doing and then file an ethics complaint, which I did. And again, he was engaging in this crime 
openly on the internet. And uh, he, he, I mean, he, he wasn't hiding anything. It was all right there. So I had screenshots of everything and I organized everything in chronological order, exposing everybody and highlighting everybody that were on these social media posts that he was identifying and that were identifying themselves. And I sent all of this information to the Ethics Commission. As I've said, the Ethics Commission, unfortunately, doesn't get to tell someone like me who files the complaint what the result of their investigation was, nor does a county prosecutor, nor does the individual who broke the law themselves. They don't have to say anything either. The punishment, of course, for doing what he did as an elected official, we're talking about, again, upwards of well over $5,000 he paid himself back for these tickets. One of the punishments is that he has to leave his position. Well, he's still there, but this is where this is where the good Lord works in his own way and in his own time to expose these individuals, because this is not an accident. And again, this is what degeneracy will get you. As it turns out now, his youngest son is apparently a menace to society. This kid is a, he, he breaks the rules. He, he does a number of different things. In fact, the school board member himself on the record during a number of school board meetings, has openly stated, sort of in a joking and, oh, I don't know, sort of a, a sly kind of way as if to say, ha ha ha, boys will be boys, that kind of thing. He will openly apologize for his son's behavior. I've heard him do this on numerous occasions, and it's not funny. I mean, it's a, it's a very serious thing, but he, he's, he's trying to pass it off as if it's a joke. Again, like, you know, that's just boys. No. It's not. So what this kid has done, and he has apparently done it on at least two occasions, is he has threatened to kill at least four girls in the school, in this middle school, in the town where I live. Now let me back up real quick, and let's examine a few other examples and past examples of, of what typically happens with someone like this in a situation like this. If a student threatens to kill in this day and age with everybody believing the fake school shootings and everybody, you know, on edge, with all of that fake stuff aside for a minute, it is still a serious threat, without a doubt, and it should be taken very seriously. So at the very least, in a situation like that, the student should be suspended first. That's typically the order in which this, this transpires. All of the parents are contacted, all the administrators are contacted, all of the teachers of that student are contacted, that this is what the student has done. Again, put aside for just a second, that let's imagine actually that this is not the adopted child of a gay couple, one of the fathers who, again, sits on the school board. Let's just put that aside for just a second, and let's look at this. Just, again, an individual, just a random student who has no affiliation with anybody in the school district or a school district whatsoever. Again, the order of operations is rather clear. There will even be recommendations for expulsion, in particular in this day and age. Now, unfortunately, as you've heard me say, expelling a student in this day and age is a difficult thing to do. It depends, though. Let me bring up a more recent example in the same school district. 
You may recall that I brought up not that long ago a student who allegedly, and it turns out that this is turning out to be fake, that this didn't even happen, that a student allegedly was making, I want to say like memes or a collage, and then some online posts describing shooting up the school or making terroristic threats, whatever it was. This was an 18-year-old student. He was arrested. He was charged with making terroristic threats. And then he was expelled immediately. So these are two completely separate cases. And the individual who was expelled, I might add, was white. This student is not, to my knowledge. In fact, they aren't. I know that for a fact. So you couldn't have a more contrasting example of what happens when schools engage in discretion, favoritism, nepotism, etc., etc. It filters right down to the actual individual student themselves. And in this particular case, the student has the the black adopted student who is the son of the school board member has not been expelled. Not yet. They have not even been suspended. Police officers, like I said, have been called to the parents' home. This particular police officer, as it turns out, is also the resource officer to the school building. And they've been kept out of the loop also by administration. Now, allegedly, the comments specifically went something like this. They said, either in the classroom, online, or both, they, this particular student asked, who in the room owns a gun because they want to kill this girl, this girl, this girl, and this girl, and they want to shoot and kill these girls? So in a situation like this, given the connections and the nepotism and all of it, school districts will circle the wagons, and they'll do whatever they have to do to mediate the situation to not expel the individual regardless of any previous record, discipline record that the student has. Again, this is the excuse-making and the corrupt nature of the entire thing. So, apparently what has transpired here is that the principal of the school building has known about this before, failed to act. It's a common... It's a common habit here these days, failing to act as an administrator, trying to cover things up, trying to protect your own image, etc., etc. But they failed to act previously. It's happened again. And instead of doing what they should do, which is suspend the, ind- suspend the individual and expel them, that's what they should do. What they're doing now is, is they're attempting to meet with the parents of the of the girls individually one family at a time to get their story their take and what they want to be the alleged solution and then the principal will take this information on an individual basis and use it against the other parents by maybe even lying about what the other parents have suggested or said or done Suggestions have now been made to some of the parents involved that they need to 
do this as a group of parents together. My approach is different, which is don't ever talk to the administrators. The, the administrators will want to meet with parents and mediate the entire situation. My solution is way more direct and way more simple, as you might expect, which is these girls are old enough to teach themselves. They're old enough to read and write. They're in middle school. They're not dumb. They're smart girls. Uh, they need to homeschool themselves. That's number one. They need to never go back. Number two, they need to keep calling the police. They need to bypass the school district as much as humanly possible. Because at this point, again, the school board knows about it. The, super, the superintendent knows about it. Everybody knows about it. But they need to bypass the school district and not communicate with them at all and keep going to the police about the fact that this student has not been expelled. And then what you do is, as a parent, if you're in this situation and you've been victimized in this way and your child has been victimized in this way by having their life threatened, you also now have direct evidence, including police reports that you filled out on this student, but you have direct evidence that the administrator, the building administrator, didn't do what they were contractually obligated to do, in particular when it comes to the safety and security of everybody in the building. Again, whether it was a joke, whether it was a middle school boy trying to get the attention of middle school girls, or if it, or if it was serious, it does not matter. The building administrator now needs to have their license gone after. I've laid out previously on this show how that gets done. And in the state of Ohio, along with countless other states, it's remarkably simple and incredibly straightforward. It's usually done with an online PDF that you download to your computer. You fill it out, everything in chronological order, all of the names, dates, times, direct quotes, paraphrases, whatever whatever you want to add into the complaint, and then what the administrator themselves did and did not do. You also take that opportunity to add in any screenshots or scans, scan PDFs, basically, of any police report that has been filled out. That way, the State Department of Education, when they receive this complaint, they know that the police are involved. And then you have police commenting on the fact that this has been dealt with in the past, but it hasn't been dealt with. So that's the process. I, li I laid out this process specifically in my book, Violence Among Students and School Staff. You never go to the school district for the solution. Not ever. Because again, at this point, all the higher-ups in the school district, so to speak, know about this. And this includes, I might add, the HR director in the school district and the district's investigator themselves, along with, of course, their PR director and everything else. I mean, everyone in the district knows this. A school district's number one priority is and will always be image protection. They do not want the public to know that these kinds of things happen on a frequent basis, and they do happen frequently. So that's why they're trying to keep this quote-unquote in-house, even though there are police reports now, at least two, if not more than that, from all these other parents. They're trying to keep it in-house. They're trying to keep it quiet. During an expulsion, however, the school board itself, whether it be in public or private session, they have to agree 
on the expulsion of the student or any students who are involved, regardless of the situation. What makes it unique in this situation is it happens to be the adopted black son of a gay school board member who should be expelled, which means he would have to recuse himself from any public or private vote to have the child expelled. The problem is, is again, they're not going to encourage an expulsion because they all sit on the board too. And they're all friends and they all pretty much get along with one another. And at least three of them are gay and, you know, including the superintendent rather. And that's just the way that it is. So the degeneracy is everywhere. The unethical behavior is everywhere. The discretion is everywhere. The favoritism and nepotism is everywhere. And this is unfortunately what goes on. Now, in the case I brought up previously regarding, again, the student who allegedly created this collage of violence and then had it posted online back when they were a middle school student and then it got rehashed and, and re-uploaded apparently on the internet, there are, there, there's a lot of stories swirling around. And again, I'm not saying I have all the details because I certainly don't, but that particular student who was charged with making a terroristic threat and expelled from the school district is trying to get everything expunged, apparently. But as the story goes, allegedly the IP address where all of this was sent wasn't even his IP address. It was sent from someone else and maybe even somebody in another country. So that particular student, again, is trying to get all of this expunged from their record because. They're saying that it wasn't them, that they didn't do it. They didn't create the collage, and they didn't send it, and it wasn't them. It was just somebody else. And again, if that's true, then that, that individual, again, should have their record cleared completely. But it just shows a pure contrast in the approach that these school districts take, where they will pull the trigger and make an example of somebody in haste as quickly as humanly possible, in particular when that individual has no connections to the school district whatsoever or school employees or certainly school, school board members themselves. Not so with the case of the adopted son of the school board member. This individual, again, is apparently, as it sits right now and based on what I know, is getting multiple chances and now the administration is trying to, again, mediate the situation with the parents, use what the parents say against one another, either separately or whatever. When in fact, everybody who's covering for this student is now a guilty party. And I mean everybody. You have the building administrator, at least one of them. Again, superintendent, HR office, investigator, and now, of course, the entire school board. And there you have it. This is, this is a common behavior. This is something that goes on constantly in American K-12 schools. It's not new. It's getting worse. And this is, this is unfortunately what happens. They'll make examples of some, and then they'll make excuses for countless other people. Because remember, this is the same environment that consistently says the safety and well-being and security of all of our students is our number one concern. That's their mantra. They don't mean that. They never mean it because they're pathological liars. Because when it's one of their own who has screwed up, well, then everybody has to jump into uh, defense mode, circle the wagons, and do what they do.
So my solution for a, a situation like this is keep going to the police, homeschool your children, and then file ethics complaints and specific complaints against the administrator's administrative certificate and teaching certificate at the state level with the Department of Education. And again, it's all done over email. You don't have to call anybody. You can just send it over email, and, it, and that's it. I'm not saying the right thing will happen, but at the very least, you're on the record as trying to end this person's career because this is a perfect example of, it, of a school building administrator that does not belong in the system anymore whatsoever. But this is also why the system is failing. This is also why the system has to cease to exist. It's examples just like this. The corruption is too deep. The cover-ups are too broad. And they happen constantly. So there you go. You're never going to get an apology probably from the school board member themselves. They'll never apologize for their child's behavior. They'll want to keep this as tight-lipped as humanly possible. Problem is, everybody knows who his children are. Everybody knows the district connection to a school board member. Everybody knows this. Everybody's going to watch the nepotism and the corruption occur right in front of their faces. The old rules for thee, not for me kind of thing. And yet, this is also the same school district that claims that they need to pass another levy in November. Their first one failed. All of this corruption just continues to take place. All this nepotism, all these cover-ups, all the sexual abuse of, of students at the hands of teachers, they're constantly in the news for all the wrong reasons. They're trying to keep this one, of course, as suppressed as humanly possible. I, of course, am not going to allow that to happen, but this is, this is what they do, and they think they're actually going to pass a levy or put a levy on the ballot this coming November, and they think it's going to pass. These people are insane. They're insane. They don't know what they're doing. They don't have a brain in their skull. They are completely void of any morality whatsoever. Doing the right thing is so easy, but not for someone and a group of people who consistently do the wrong thing. This entire notion of constant mediation instead of Suspension, arrest, expulsion. Instead of doing those three things, which is what should happen in a situation like this, and again, if it were anybody else, that's what they would do, but no, no, no. It's, it's the black child of a gay school board member. So they get multiple chances, apparently, and mediation and a thousand other things. But instead of doing what's right and what is swift, it's always the Let's get together and discuss this. Ladies and gentlemen, that never used to happen. That is a 21st century skill, quote unquote, certainly something within the last, I'd say, 10 years that really has come to the forefront here. And it never, ever works. It's just like the stories you hear of someone killing somebody else being let out on bail, even though they've murdered someone, and then they go out and they murder somebody else, and then they get arrested again, and everybody's surprised. 
You should never be surprised when individuals who don't learn, don't know the difference between right and wrong, consistently make the same mistakes over and over and over again. Not to mention, in this particular situation, that is no longer a safe environment for any of those girls. They've been called out by name by this young male student. And again, they're not a student, but they've been called out by name. They're not a real student. I mean, they attend the school, but you get what I'm saying. They're, they're not there to learn anything. Um, they've been called out by name. So there have been apparently multiple witnesses to this on more than one occasion. It's just not a safe environment for, for the children anymore. It's really not a safe environment for anyone, as you've heard me say and lay out on this show on a consistent basis. It's not a safe environment for a thousand reasons. And not just those four girls now, but it's really not a safe environment for anyone else in any of these buildings because the people in these buildings know what's going on. And they know what's going on with this particular situation, which means when you send a student back like that, without any punishment whatsoever, in particular permanent punishment like expulsion or an arrest, charging them with terroristic threats after all, because apparently, again, if it's different if it's done online than if it's done to a person's face. But it's not a safe environment for countless people because now they'll see this student come back, not be, not be suspended, not be expelled, and then what? Everybody's, everybody in the, in the entire environment is basically gaslit into believing that this is okay. But everybody's going to know that it's not okay, and everybody's going to know that if you're related to somebody who's a higher up in the school district, or even anybody in the school district, you're going to get second chances, and third chances, and fourth chances, and fifth chances, and so on and so on. But if you're someone else, you won't. This is why the whole mediation thing falls through immediately on its face. That's why it doesn't work. So I'm done rambling about it, but that's, that's my solution. My solution is, is, is in situations like this, when the families might feel like they don't have any control and the right thing's not happening, do not engage in any kind of a mediation situation with an administrator. If you're the parents, you all meet together privately in one of your own homes. You talk about what's going on. You make sure everybody's on the same page. You get everything written down on a Word document on a computer in chronological order, all of you. And then all of you file police reports against this child. And then all of you go after the administrator's administrative certificate and file the complaint through the Department of Education. And you can do the exact same thing also with the superintendent, because if the superintendent doesn't move on expulsion, well, then he's showing his favoritism toward the school board member and his adopted children. Then you file another complaint against the actual school board member himself, because it's his son. And he's already had one ethics complaint filed against him from me, which means if he receives four more from parents, whose children have been threatened to be killed by his son. That's just another step in the process. And they're going to look at him a little more closely and say, this guy has a pattern. There's a pattern here. 
of breaking the rules, getting away with it. He thinks he can get away with it because he hasn't been held accountable, so on and so on. That's the, that's the step process. You never play the school district's game because their game is to minimize it, squash it, and cover it up. So don't play by their rules. Don't take their suggestions. Don't play their game. Go above and beyond them and crush them. That's how you do it. So there you go. Anybody listening to this knows those people. I, I know at least one individual that is involved in, in this entire situation, but if anybody wants to reach out to me, they can email me. I'd be happy to help them throughout this process. I'd be happy to meet with them. No charge. I'll do this one for free. This is fun for me. This is fun for me. I like going after these bad people. And it's easy, and I know the process, and I know exactly what the documentation should look like. I know how it gets sent. I know all of it. But you've got to homeschool your children. This is just another example. And again, anybody listening to this, it doesn't matter where you live or what's going on. If parents consistently expose their children to these kinds of, of environments, in particular after a situation like this, nothing's being learned. And think of the lessons you're teaching your daughters. Just go back into that environment where your life was threatened. That's not cool. That's not a that's not a you know that's not a good lesson to teach anybody. Let alone all the COVID lies and the mask abuses. I mean, that's bad enough. But all of that aside, given the specific situation, having your life threatened, not a good thing. Now, clearly, there's a massive difference these days between how something like that would have gotten handled in a school setting and how it gets handled now. In particular, at the very base level of just among the students. I had my life threatened once by a particular student. Uh, When I was in middle school, I told my brother. My brother told his stepbrother, who my brother was friends with, and my brother's friend, who was the stepbrother, the older stepbrother of the kid who threatened threatened me, uh, that was the last time that that kid ever threatened me. I'll just put it that way. We didn't go to administration. We didn't ask administration for help. We didn't do any of that. In fact, I came home, told my parents, told my brother. My brother goes, oh, no problem. He goes, you know so-and-so. And I said, yeah. He said, well, he's my friend, and he doesn't like this kid, and he happens to be his stepbrother. So I'll tell him that he threatened you, and I guarantee that'll be the end of it. That was the end of it. He never, he never even looked at me again, this particular kid. So back in the day, there was a way that it got handled swiftly. And he would have beat the ever-living shit out of this kid had he had ever touched me ever again. So there you go. That's, that's the swift justice that doesn't exist anymore. You just have a bunch of limp-wristed adults trying to cover their asses uh, as much as they can and, and protect themselves professionally, but they're not professionals, which means they don't need protection. And parents don't know the rights that they have. They don't know the rights and responsibilities that they have as citizens to file complaints to get people like this out of the profession. Because time and time again, they're showing people that they don't know what they're doing. I mean, this is a school district, ladies and gentlemen, that cannot balance the budget. They can't balance the budget. They're broke. If you can't manage money, you can't manage human behavior then. And they can't manage human behavior. They make excuses for it, in particular when it's one of their own. So 
Hopefully I can have some updates to this story in the future. I'll bring you updates to see what actually happens, but this is a perfect and prime example of favoritism. What should happen versus what is happening. And what should happen is, is he should be expelled. No questions asked, snap your fingers, gone. Just like that. And yes, he should be charged with a crime. Making a terroristic threat, threatening to kill people on more than one occasion. Which means he should see the inside of juvenile detention for at least a day or so. Show him what it looks like. Maybe he'll change his mind? Probably not. Somebody who behaves this way as a child, well, they're going to have a real fun time as an adult. Real fun time. Okay, moving on here. This is from Fox News. It's titled, Oprah Smacks Students with Biden Playbook in Woke Commencement Address. She gave a speech to the Tennessee State University, and I'm telling you, I'm going to play it here. It lasts about a minute, but she sounds like an extension of the Obamas. And she's basically just saying everything that you would hear them say and hear Biden say, and it's just terrible. But why these individuals don't understand that Oprah Winfrey is beyond irrelevant and that she has direct ties to Jeffrey Epstein, Harvey Weinstein, and all these other Steens that apparently have no problem trafficking children, grooming children. Again, she's on the flight list. We've seen it. We've seen her name bounce around. We've seen the connections. Harvey Weinstein alone. I mean, that connection alone, you would think, you would say, you know what, we don't want her here because she was friends with Harvey Weinstein. Of all the people you could invite for your commencement address, these universities are still bringing in politicians and quote-unquote celebrities. They haven't learned their lesson, have they? They haven't figured it out. That's how out to lunch these people are. That's how asleep they are. You'd think they wouldn't touch Oprah Winfrey with a 10-foot pole. She's an actual pimp. She has moved children around. And again, she's irrelevant. So here's a few words of her at this commencement address. Again, Tennessee State University, ladies and gentlemen, clearly not the sharpest knives in the drawer. Uh, here's a few of her words in about one minute in three, two, one. Because you are the generation that is forced to depend on body cams to obtain justice. And even then, accountability, as we've seen again and again, can be so hard to come by. You witnessed the storming of the Capitol and the death of civility. You're acutely aware that voting rights are being gutted, women's rights are being dismantled, books are being banned, history is being rewritten, the Supreme Court is being corrupted, the debt ceiling is being held hostage, the climate is changing, the LGBTQ community, the LGBT plus community is under attack, the Cold War is back, the leaders are behaving like children, the children are being gunned down by military-grade assault rifles. We live on a planet where there is more than enough wrong to keep you busy trying to make things right for the rest of your natural life. Sorry, it was only about 35 seconds. Either way, it then went on and just had some text messages on there, and it essentially said that uh, Oprah went on to defend and support the two black 
male congressmen from Tennessee who were thrown out, and then one was invited back in and all of that stuff. So she's race baiting like nobody's business. But again, she pretty much uh, went down the list of leftist talking points, and she might as well have been Big Mike, given the speech. It, it might as well have been old Big Mike. I want to add this too. Given her words there and what she's clearly saying, not only is she race baiting, she's trying to race divide as much as humanly possible. And that right there, ladies and gentlemen, those are words of war. What she's actually trying to do is stoke the flames of a interracial war as much as humanly possible. There's, in my opinion, there's no doubt about that. That's what she's doing. She's trying to basically say, everybody who's doing the things that she's claiming are bad are the problem, and you need to go after them. And as we all know, that's what they say in those commencement speeches year after year after year. Why people attend them is beyond me. Do you not know what you're going to get? It hits the news every year, just like prom deaths, just like homecoming deaths, just like prom dresses being controversial this year or this, that, or the other, and all these news stories that happen, the commencement speeches happen every single year. And they're exhausting because, again, what they say is remarkably stupid. Jacinda Ardern, the former prime minister of uh, New Zealand, I think she gave her speech at Harvard last year. And it, I mean, it was just ridiculous. She's just spewing globalist trash. But again, that's what happens when you attend Harvard. You're, you're globalist trash. So it's par for the course for them. But uh, I find it absolutely hilarious that these, that these universities just have no idea who they're inviting, or they do know who they're inviting and they don't care. They just love the fact that a globalist race baiter is, uh, is you know, an excellent speech to have. What a catch. What an amazing catch to have. You know, just like Joe Biden. Same thing. What'd he go to? Howard University to give a commencement speech? Predominantly black school, if I'm not mistaken? Well done. Who, who made that invite? Who made that call? You know who we need? We need a pedophile. Yeah, let's get a pedophile up here. A known pedophile. Let's, let, let's have them give a speech to all our graduating students because everybody's going to love Joe Biden being here. He's the butt of every joke. He's in every meme, he's in every video, he's in every montage. He's inviting 15-year-old girls up to the stage when he was at the White House last week, giving some stupid speech. We're all the 15-year, anybody under 15, he said. Come on up on the stage, come on up. Get your picture with old creepy Joe. I mean, who, who makes this invite? Who makes this call? What are these, what are these universities doing? They're not thinking. It's evident that they aren't thinking. We know that much. And they're killing their customers. We know that too. Which sort of leads me right into the jabs. Okay. Um, I'm, I'll tell you what. I'm going to start with Watch the Water here. And if you're listening to the sound of my voice, you have to, you have to watch the second part of Watch the Water. It's titled Watch the Water to Closing Chapter. It's on American Education FM on BitChute and Rumble. It's on the Stu Peters Network, of course, produced by his network. It's, it's beyond well done. And ladies and gentlemen, it is the tip of the spear when it comes to what's actually happening with these jabs, the origins of these jabs, who's responsible, 
where the pharmaceutical industry is going regarding snake venom and synthesized venom. And I have a couple of audio clips here that I want to play from it because uh, it's, it's disturbing. But again, anybody not discussing this who is in the so-called freedom movement, all these so-called doctors out there talking about cure this and cure that, and we need medicines and they are, you know, they're already available and we know what they are and blah, blah, blah. If they're not talking about this and the connections that Dr. Brian Artis has brought to the forefront here, then they're out to lunch. In fact, that's exactly what Dr. Artis says. Multiple times throughout the hour-long documentary, he clearly states that he's brought this information to the McCulloughs, the Steve Kirsch's of the world, the Pierre Corys, and a bunch of others, and they're not interested in looking into this. They're not interested in talking with him about this. They're not, they're not interested in it. It's disgusting, but that's part of the sort of snakes among us metaphor here, isn't it? That these individuals, again, are interested in grifting off of particular things and writing a whole bunch of stuff when, in fact, artists is the one who's actually going right at the target at what the real problem is. And as he lays out in the documentary, this is what they're trying to do with all human beings and human DNA. They're trying to get it so that our bodies make poison and synthesize poison so that they can then use that within their pharmaceutical remedies. And they can actually put human DNA and more poisoned human DNA inside of medicines so that people will literally be swallowing other people. This is, I mean, it's part of it. It's part of what he explains, but that's sort of the bigger picture because they're Satanists. That's what this is about. So here's the first clip I want to play. I'll let it run for at least a few minutes. Uh, give this a listen. This is toward, I would say, within, I guess, the first 24 minutes of Watch the Water Part 2. Give this a listen real quick. A lot of people called me to actually have Zoom calls with me and all the medical experts around the world and scientists around the world. It was like they had to have an intervention with me to wrangle me in. Mm -hmm. Like, we got to get this guy under control. Yeah, you're not. And it didn't work because this is what I would say. Go ahead and unleash on me what your concerns are before I lay this out for you. And I would just sit there confidently and do it with everybody you've already named. <laughs> and they would go like this. Number one, even Steve Kirsch, number one, Dr. Artis, you can't, you can't swallow snake venom. When it hits your stomach acid, it actually denatures it. And it won't make it into your intestines to get into your bloodstream. You can't swallow venom. I'd go like this. Really? Really? And with all the medical doctors on there, I'd go like this. So we can't swallow snake venom and get it past your stomach acid to get it into your intestines, to get it into your bloodstream, to make you sick or change your physiology? Nope. Really? How many medical doctors are on this call? Raise your hand. And they'd raise their hands and I'd go, great. How many of you have prescribed a drug called lisinopril for high blood pressure in the last 40 years? Just so you know, there's over 20 million Americans every morning waking up swallowing lisinopril that medical doctors are prescribing them. Do you know that in 1981, Bristol-Myers Squibb patented captopril that's inside lisinopril to lower your blood pressure? And it's made from snake venom from a viper in Brazil? And they are prescribing a dry powdered form tablet of snake venom for you to swallow to actually relax your muscles with a paralytic venom that paralyzes muscles to relax your muscles of your blood vessels and arteries to lower blood pressure. I said, how many of you knew you're prescribing an ACE inhibitor that's actually made from venom, snake venom? 
in every morning, 22 million Americans are putting it in their mouth and swallowing it, and it's going past their stomach, into their intestines. They have known how to get, the pharmaceutical industry has known for years, how to get venom past the stomach acid into your body to create changes to your physiology. And what we screamed out in the Watch the Water documentary was, you need to go look for venom. They are poisoning us. You need to look at the water. There is no part of me that even questions whether or not they're poisoning us in water. If you want to make sure your family's going to stay healthy, you got to make sure the air you breathe, the water you drink, and the food you eat is clean. They know water systems since 2006 it's been published. Our water systems in all industrialized nations are a source of bioterrorism to create global attacks and poisonings. And they published in 2006 biological uh, peptides that can be used as a terrorism weapon in water systems. They disclose all venoms, snail venoms, sponge venoms, conotoxins, snake venoms, botulism. They, te- they actually put it in the papers. We know all of these can be utilized around the world to cause massive pandemics as a terrorism weapon in our water systems. Okay, they've known that this whole time. And then everything we show you is published by somebody in multiple countries around the world confirming venom is in the COVID-19 patients, causing all their long-hauler COVID symptoms. It wasn't an airborne pathogen. Can they use venom and aerosolize it? Yes. Are they doing it? I don't know, but they already know that they can. The United States Department of Justice published in 2012. Look it up. Look it up. It says conotoxins, potential weapons of the sea. Conotoxins found in COVID-19 patients, blood and feces, 15 different cone snail venoms inside COVID patients, blood and feces confirmed in Italy and by Dr. Chetty MD in South Africa. Yes, and it states on the U.S. Department of Justice website right now, it says there's so much conotoxins around the world that could be utilized as an aerosolized terrorism weapon. And when people inhale it, they will develop respiratory failure and die. Oh my God, that sounds like COVID. This is in 2012. 2015, the World Economic Forum actually has on their website how killer snails will improve the state of the world. That's the title of the article. It's all about cone snail venoms, conotoxins. World Economic Forum, how killer snails will improve the state of the world. I want to play a little bit more, but first, before I do, I want to to highlight three particular articles here because I took one of his suggestions, which again was just type in snake venom and, and the occasional author's name into a search engine and see what pops up. And what pops up are endless peer-reviewed medical articles in medical journals describing how snake venom is being synthesized and used in medicine to, again, alter DNA and RNA. I mean, this is, a, this is legit. This is 100% real. He's not making any of this up. Again, he brings the receipts. He's got endless articles that are shown on the screen that anybody can go and look up. But I just randomly found these three, and these weren't ones that were highlighted in the documentary. But I just want to bring this to people's attention. This was one that is titled, Stabilizing the Integrity of Snake Venom Messenger RNA Stored Under Tropical Field Conditions Expands Research Horizons. And this was from June 9 of 2016. The conclusion, and I just want to read the conclusion here. It says, the non-invasive experimental modifications we propose will facilitate the future investigation of venom composition 
by using venom as an alternative source to venom gland tissue for RNA-based studies, thus obviating the undesirable need to sacrifice snakes for such research purposes. In addition, they expand research horizons to rare, endangered, or protected snake species and provide more flexible flexibility rather to performing field work on venomous snakes in tropical conditions they're openly stating that they want to save the snakes they don't want to use actual real snakes with real venom anymore they can synthesize it and us synthesizing it is good for us using it in medicine and for rna based studies they openly say that and then they say well it's to save the snakes so they're openly admitting, again, in this one article here, that they are interested in synthesizing snake venom. That's just the first random example I pulled up. Here's the next one. This was published in the National Library of Medicine, PubMed Central. This is from 2012, August 7th of 2012. It's titled, Unusual Stability of Messenger RNA in Snake Venom Reveals Gene Expression Dynamics of Venom Replenishment. I'm going to get down to the bottom here in the conclusion. It says, We demonstrate that venom resynthesis occurs very rapidly following depletion of venom stores, presumably to ensure venomous snakes retain their ability to efficiently predate and remain defended from predators. It says, The stability of mRNA in venom is biologically fascinating and could significantly empower venom research by expanding opportunities to produce transcriptomes, whatever the hell that is, from historical venom stocks and rare or endangered venom venomous species for new therapeutic, diagnostic, and evolutionary studies. These people have been playing with snake venom and synthesize snake venom for a very long time. And as Artist lays out, he says that's all messenger RNA is. Messenger RNA is poisonous snake venom that is purposely designed and synthesized artificially to slice open a person's RNA, which of course damages them permanently. Here's the last one I found. This is from academic. OUP.com. It is titled The Rise of Genomics in Snake Venom Research Recent Advances and Future Perspectives. This is from 2022, April of 2022. Here's what the abstract says quote, Snake venoms represent a danger to human health, but also a gold mine of bioactive proteins that can be harnessed for drug discovery purposes. Again, at the bottom here, then, it says, Such no novel insights have the potential to affect the design and development of antivenoms and possibly other drugs, as well as provide new fundamental knowledge on snake biology and evolution. They're not really studying snakes. They're not studying snakes for the purpose of preserving snakes because they're interested in snakes. That's not really it. They're interested in poison. And they're interested in, and they're openly admitting, to getting these poisons and venom into drugs that people take, which, of course, hurts them. The point is, is that the literature on snake venom and what these people have been doing with snake venom 
is incredible. And it's everywhere. It's all over the place. And for these so-called freedom doctors on their freedom tours, standing on stages with microphones in front of their faces, telling everybody about hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin, and we were the first people to do it. I mean, pick one of those hacks. What's interesting, no pun intended, is that they are actually becoming the snake oil salesmen here. They're the individuals not really looking at the actual answer and the real problem. What Artis is bringing up here is the problem. They want us to be poisoned. They want our bodies to make poison so that they can use our bodies to synthesize new drugs to give to people so that people are basically, like I said earlier, ingesting other people. It's beyond disgusting. Here's another clip from the documentary in three, two, one. They synthetically manufacture venoms in bacteria called E. coli, yeast cells, and in mammal cells all around the world. And I've been screaming to the world, if you want to know how to solve the long hauler COVID patients and the exacerbated, exaggerated, horrific outcomes of the vaccine injured, you need to test them all for bacteria and yeast infections. Because once you introduce venom into an environment where those are, they are designed to replicate and manufacture venom in its presence. It's called genetic engineering. They also call it biological engineering. How to get microorganisms like bacteria and yeast and mammal cells to replicate and manufacture venom. They're not designed to manufacture on their own. Human beings weren't designed to manufacture venom. Venom's toxic to us. Why are we injecting people with the instruction to do that? That's all mRNA technology is. To clear this up, mRNA technology is solely how to get cells in the human body to manufacture venom. That's it. Y'all can call it anything else you want. You can call the spike protein spike proteins if you want to. It doesn't change the fact that they are venom proteins. This is the hardest part of all of this for me to wrap my head around, and I don't think that it can be attributed to laziness. No. There's more to it than that. Why won't they look at it? Ignorance is not always bliss, people. Especially when you're going to claim you are going to claim you are a savior of men and women and a leader of men and women to help save their lives. You're not going to look at the weapon. You're not going to do that. You're not going to try to understand why it is hundreds of thousands of people around the world have reported to me all of their long hauler COVID symptoms disappeared in 45 minutes to three days using nicotine gum. Have you heard Pierre Corey talk about that? Have you heard McCullough talk about nicotine? Have you heard Paul Merrick talk about it? Have you heard Steve Kirsch talk about it? Have you heard Stephanie Sinniff talk about it? Have you heard anybody talk about it? Not a damn soul. Really? Why do you refuse to go look at the weapon and its target? Go look at the damn weapon. The weapon is venom. I don't know how to make this more clear to you. They are envenomating us and they are poisoning us with venoms. And they are calling them respiratory side effects or respiratory illnesses. They are not. The venoms mimic respiratory virus symptoms. There's four things they publish that if you put in the human body or in a Petri dish with venom, it completely detoxifies the venoms. And they are. And they are glutathione. In acetylcysteine, vitamin C, and EDTA, which is a heavy metal detoxing agent. It completely inhibits venom. In April of 2020, they said 
These spike proteins are venoms that target alpha-7 nicotinic acetylcholine receptors, causing all the COVID symptoms. This is a central nervous system disease, not a respiratory illness. This is what they said. They said, you know what's interesting about this alpha-7 nicotinic acetylcholine receptor that these venoms target? They said around the world in April of 2020, ivermectin reports are coming in that ivermectin is saving people with COVID around the world. They said what's amazing about ivermectin is it's a positive allosteric modulator of alpha-7 nicotinic acetylcholine receptors. It binds to the same receptors nicotine does. And they said this is how it's working. Y'all need to go do nicotine studies. This is what they said. It's, the target is nicotine receptors. Venoms being used as a treatment or venoms being used as a cure-all are different than venoms being used as a weapon. Which one is it? It is my belief and my awareness that there is a depopulation agenda in place between now and the year 2050 that has been pushed forward and accelerated with this pandemic to get as many people as possible vaccinated. Not only does the vaccine agenda scream depopulation, but the remdesivir hospital protocols where Anthony Fauci, the NIH, the FDA all said there's only one drug you can treat COVID-19 patients in hospitals with. And if you prescribe anything else, doctors, we're going to take away your license and punish you. There's only one drug, remdesivir, that can be used in every hospitalized COVID-19 patient. What screams depopulation more than this? Why would the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services offer every hospital a 20% add-on bonus if they would just use remdesivir on everyone 60 years old and older? Not 20% add-on bonus for remdesivir. Why do they still to this day offer a 20% add-on bonus for the entire hospital stay if you just code you used remdesivir on every patient 60 years old and older? For 26 years, I've heard that the baby boomers, this aging generation, is going to put a strain on Social Security and Medicare. They're going to go bankrupt eventually. You know what I see? I see CMS and our government willing to bribe hospitals to take the elderly out. To me, it is a calling of the elderly. Nothing screamed murderous intent more than the hospital protocols and the incentivization by CMS on the elderly in America for a drug we knew, we were lied to, was not safe and effective at all. In the water, you acknowledged it was diluted, uh, aerosolized, and the things that we consume, drink, eat, it was diluted. What about the injections? They're taking it and putting it directly into you. All right, so it's diluted in water. If you think it's in the air, it's also diluted in the air. <laughs> you, you can't not dilute something in water, so you're going to get a diluted form of these venoms obviously. But when you put it into a syringe and you can put billions of spike proteins in there and inject it inside of you, that is way more than you're going to get from a glass of water or in your shower. It is injected directly inside of you. Now you have billions of spike proteins, venom peptides now in your body, or you're injected with a billion mRNA, lipid nanoparticle wrapped mRNA instructions for your body to make venom peptides called spike proteins. It is a way more dangerous outcome with the vaccines to introduce spike proteins or venom peptides or the instructions to make it in the form of mRNA. It was always going to be more dangerous injecting it directly inside your body. People were upset with you. People were upset with me after Watch the Water.
Venom Boy. They won't talk to you. Semantics. You're not using the right word. They won't look at it because you're the manic, retired chiropractor. People are upset with you. They're mad. Big mad at us, both of us. Conspiracy theorists. I mean, it's all over the place. Why aren't they looking to the people that created the weapon? Why aren't they looking at the weapon itself? If you want to be angry at something or someone, why is it us? What's... What's the answer to that question with these MDs? These people, you all know who I'm talking about, have huge tours, patting themselves on the back, consuming all types of alcohol, dance parties, giving away awards to each other, recognizing each other, patting each other on the back, but yet refuse to look at the weapon. What victory is it that they're celebrating exactly? I don't see it. I actually say this all the time. These individuals who are reluctant to look they must have started speaking out for a different reason than I did. Why are the masses looking at these people as the trusted group of healthcare providers, the heroes? Uh, I have no idea. I really have no idea. As this year has gone on, I lose more and more faith in the individuals that appeared wanted me to be a part of helping save humanity with them. As more now, it's unfortunate, but the celebrityism or the platforms they've grown or the financial rewards of their businesses, I have no idea. I, I do not know why on earth a healthcare professional of any kind, I don't care what your licensing is, why it is you refuse to go look at this information. A couple of things there, and I'm going to answer that last question because I know the answer to that question. And again, Stu Peters did a great job in asking it because it needs to be asked. But nicotine, go figure. Nicotine. That's all it took. I remember coming across. Again, it, I believe it was an 8chan or a 4chan post from a long time ago. I may even have even stuck it in the storm books that, again, are free on my website. But I remember, I'm, I don't even know if I read it here on the show, but I remember coming across an 8chan or 4chan post that was long, and it specifically described nicotine. It said, if you're a smoker, don't worry, you're 100% fine because you're not going to get, you're not going to get ill. Again, it was an anonymous post. It was long. It was longer than what I just said, but they they laid it out right there. And I remember, again, back in 2021, I had an old nurse friend of mine who took these shots, and she contacted me because she saw my school board speech, and she said, people are making fun of you online for what you said. And I, and I looked at her, and I said, you're a smoker still, right? And she goes, yeah, I, I smoke. I probably should. And I said, no, that's all you had to do. You didn't have to take the shots. All you had to do was just keep smoking, and you'd have been okay. You, w- you wouldn't have caught anything. But again, she was in the healthcare profession, and I'm sure she was pressured and uh, coerced and a thousand other things. But there you go. It, 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 the smokers, the smokers are, never got sick. But now that the RNA and their DNA has been cleaved, sliced open, as he says, as a result of these shots, you're not you're not in control of your body anymore. Because again, when you mess up God's creation, well, it becomes something else. So let me ask uh, l- l- let me do this now. Let me answer the last question, and you know the answer too. I've I've brought this up endless times on this show without a doubt. He says, "Why is it that these doctors and these individuals wouldn't look at the evidence or investigate the fact that that's what this is?" The answer to that is twofold. Number one, it's a societal slash maintain my profession angle. 
They want to keep their medical licenses. They don't want to rock the boat. If they start saying it's snake venom and it's this and it's that, and that the pharmaceutical industry is synthesizing snake venom and putting it in pharmaceutical drugs that people take for endless, endless things, in particular like blood pressure and a thousand other things, that if they do that, then they're going to lose their medical license and they don't want that to, to occur. They're more interested in their license than they are telling the truth. That's the first angle. The second angle is if they go down this rabbit hole, which isn't even a rabbit hole, it's at the surface now. It's at the surface. We can see it for what this really is. If they examine these facts and take these into consideration, they're going to have to arrive at logical conclusions, one of which is the biggest conclusion that you have reached, thank God, either on your own accord or certainly listening to this show. But, and it was one that I reached a a number of years ago, thank God I did, is that viruses are not real, that they do not travel around in the air, and we do not cough and sneeze them on one another. It blows up their virology lie. That's the problem. It proves that germ theory is false. Of course, it's a theory. It's never been real. But terrain is the real deal. And if you put things in your body that are poison, you poison your DNA, causing your body to not do the thing that it was intended to do in the first place. It is that simple. If doctors start telling people that, they're out of a job, which is why the revelation of the virology lie backs up on their license because their patients will say, well, wait a minute, what in the hell have you been doing this whole time? All those years of medical school. All those speeches you gave, all those papers you wrote, all of it was bullshit. None of it meant anything. It was all based on fiction, a fairy tale. If that fairy tale goes away, then they go away. So the McCulloughs of the world, the Ryan Coles of the world, the Steve Kirsch's of the world, who's not even a medical doctor, all these other weirdos that are consistently grifting off of their messages are not focusing on the tip of the spear, which is this. This is it. They're poisoning the pharmaceutical industry with snake venom as a major component in all of the drugs that they are using. And as he says clearly in the documentary, Dr. Artis, he says, if you hear messenger RNA, understand it is venom. It's poison. That's it. So that's why they're not focusing on the real problem. You've heard me, again, call these people out before, and I'm glad that Stu Peters does too, and he does. I mean, he's even called them out to their faces. He's had Steve Kirsch on the show and gone right for the throat. He's had Dr. Malone on the show and gone right for his throat, and I absolutely love it because, again, Malone's not the one that created this. He apparently has patents on particular things, allegedly, but... He, he, he's not the one that apparently created this, but he's apparently taking credit for it. I mean, I, I don't, this isn't something you want to take credit for. It's poison. Why would you want to take credit for that? Why would you want to take credit for the thing that's killing people? So I wanted, yeah, I wanted to bring that up. I wanted to mention all of that because again, I, I liked how they ended it and it's not an unanswerable question. I, I just provided the answer there again. If the virology lie 
disappears and evaporates in their minds, then they cease to exist because they've been believing this the, the entire time. So it'll be interesting to see what the five docs say about this. I'm disappointed in, in really a couple of things too. Um, because I think, well, I think the five docs are going to bring this up. They'll have to. I, I don't know um, the viewership of this, of this part two of Watch the Water, but I have noticed that it isn't making the rounds on the internet the way that the first one did, which is too bad. If people just dismissed that and they were like, whatever, that's not real, that can't be real. Ladies and gentlemen, it can't get clearer. I just randomly selected a few articles and read you what they were doing and how they play with Venom on a constant basis. And again, it's not because of snakes. But the other thing is this. The phrase, watch the water, and you've heard me criticize Stu Peters before, which, by the way, I mean, he's on our side. I, I, fully, I fully know this. I mean, the man is on our side. He's doing great stuff. I haven't seen anything yet that would indicate that he's not on our side. I don't like how he makes fun of the Q stuff and all the Q posts and, and that valuable education. That, that was immensely important. But he even names it, watch the water. Well, where does that phrase come from? Because before 2017, nobody was walking around saying, watch the water, watch the water. No one ever said that. Because there are two Q posts that say, watch the water. There's Q post 765 from February 15th of 2018, and it just says, watch the water, Q. And then another one on March 6th of 2018, which was post 847, which they're, they're, they're reposting another post from the same day, where inside that post it says, water, why is this a big event? What does it signify? Why is North Korea out of the news as the world turns? Q. And then they said, watch in capital letters, the water. So the first post of Watch the Water was February 15th. My point is, is that Stu Peters is profiting off of the Q movement. He's criticizing people for doing that, but he's doing it himself. So, you know, take that for what you want. I mean, I mean I'm not going to. I'm not going to bust him up too much for it. I get it. It's catchy, but he and his production company and his and his crew know that that has that has a certain connotation among the individuals who read the Q posts. So either way, you know, not it's kind of hypocritical on his part, I suppose. But yeah, it's still important. That's the tip of the spear. That's the ultimate point. That's the issue. This is the thing going forward that people have to focus on. Again, the, the most recent Q-drops say the exact same thing. Protect your DNA. Who made your DNA? God made it. It was done on purpose. God's code is in our DNA, literally. His name is in our DNA. And we have to protect our DNA. And we've been told this. We have to do this. I mean, you'd think it'd be common sense for people, but drugs and poisons and venoms alter our DNA. And we have to do whatever we have to do to avoid these as, as much as humanly possible. I mean, we're way past label reading here. This is, this is you shouldn't trust what you're eating, what you're drinking, what you're breathing. And certainly you shouldn't be trusting the pharmaceutical industry. So make sure and go watch Watch the Water Part 2. You, you have to see this. I mean, I'm going to be referencing this again going forward. 
in the future without a doubt, because it is the tip of the spear. Now that that's out there, and now that anybody can go watch it, and again, it's on my Rumble and BitChute channel if you don't want to watch it on Stu Peters' channel on, uh, on Rumble or BitChute, but we have to start now paying attention to who's not talking about this, who's not bringing this up. That has to that has to be the the next sort of buoy in the water that we start paying attention to to see what's actually happening, who's going toward it, who isn't, who's mentioning it, who isn't. Uh, it, yeah, it was just well done. It was well done because again, it calls out these frauds for not focusing on the things that they should be focusing on, and I just provided you the answer as to why they're not focusing on it, in my opinion, anyway. That's my opinion. But the media, of course, isn't going to focus on it either. Why? Because the media is our enemy, ladies and gentlemen. And I want to end with this. This is a mashup clip that an individual on YouTube is starting to put together, which is fascinating stuff. This is about three minutes long of the media telling all of the unjabbed that we are the problem. That all of the unjabbed are the reason that people are dying and that we're the cowards and we're the, we're the terrible people and we're the dummies because we think for ourselves and a thousand other things. So give this a listen, ladies and gentlemen, and I will catch you on Wednesday. When the chips are down, these, uh, these civilized people, they'll eat each other. You are the unvaccinated. You are the problem. It is the unvaccinated who are the problem, period, end of story. The only people that you can blame, the only people you can blame, this isn't shaming, this is the truth. Maybe they should be shamed, are the unvaccinated. It's time to start blaming the unvaccinated folks, not the regular folks. Anyone you came into contact with will blame you as will the rest of us who have done the right thing by getting vaccinated. Because frankly, we know that we can't trust the unvaccinated. I think it's time to get our moral house in order, Anderson. It's the unvaccinated who are the threat. All those vaccinated folks are going to start wearing masks to protect the unvaccinated folks. It's called a Christian value. You're basically punishing the vaccinated uh, for the the sins of the unvaccinated. People are not behaving honorably. The unvaccinated are basically saying, well, it's open season for me. I can do whatever I want as well. The, the unvaccinated are basically beating their breasts and running around the country saying, ah, we don't care, we're living free and so forth. We've been patient, but our patience is wearing thin. The unvaccinated, a group that includes children and people acting like children. And the rest of us are starting to get pissed off. The vaccinated feel the unvaccinated are making me upset or angry. This is not about freedom or personal choice. Well, my freedom is being kind of disturbed here. No, screw your freedom. The other day, Howard Stern weighed in with a much different approach. Take a look. <laughs> when are we going to stop putting up with the idiots in this country and just say, now it's mandatory to get vaccinated? Their freedom. But you're treading on our freedom and you're making other people sick and really you're killing other people. The anti-vaxxers, they seem to have a thing for death and home remedies. The anti-maskers turned anti-vaxxers are not just putting their own lives at risk. If that was the issue, we could just say that we can watch them compete to win place or show in the Darwin Awards.
We have to start doing things for the greater good of society and not for idiots who think that they can do their own research. And don't get me started on the lunatics who won't take any of the COVID vaccines. Life is too short to be an ass. Life is way too short to be ignorant of the promise of something that is helping people worldwide. Maybe you're doing it because um, you're, you're disconnected or disorganized. Maybe you have some sympathetic psychological reasons, but maybe you're just being antisocial. Oh, you can't shame them. You can't call them stupid. You can't call them silly. Yes, they are. Those who are not vaccinated will end up paying the price. The unvaccinated should be taxed. Uh, they should pay more for health care. We need to start looking at the choice to remain unvaccinated the same as we look at driving while intoxicated. We're going to see, and I've said, almost two types of America. Dr. Fauci said that if hospitals get any more overcrowded, they're going to have to make some very tough choices about who gets an ICU bed. That choice doesn't seem so tough to me. Vaccinated person having a heart attack? Yes, come right on in. We'll take care of you. Unvaccinated guy who gobbled horse goo? Rest in peace, Wheezy. Pointing back to the unvaccinated who are really creating a problem in this country, every death that we are seeing from COVID could have been prevented. Literally, the only people dying are the unvaccinated. And for those of you spreading misinformation, shame on you. Shame on you. I don't know how some of you sleep at night. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless.